Welcome to All About Data on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jory Heckman. Thanks for joining me this week on All About Data, a conversation with chief data officers and the people who are making data work better in government. On today's episode, perspectives on ethical artificial intelligence from the Commerce Department. This conversation stems from a recent ATAR panel. First up to talk about it is Shakib Shrabi, Chief Data Scientist for the National Technical Information Service. We have actually a unique mission in the, in the federal government. We provide data innovative services to federal agencies to deliver on, on mission outcomes. How we do that? We do it with, through a public-private partnership with industry, academia, and nonprofit organization. And we help assist them deliver on uh, data-driven challenges and uh, objectives that uh, uh, that federal agency want to tackle. So we provide them with quick access to resources, uh, talent, and expertise. And this, of course, this is very timely. And uh, as part of the government, so since we, uh, we work on what we call agreements, it's a fed-to-fed agreement, we make sure that they actually implement those solutions in a, in a responsible way and according to the directives and the policies in place in the government. We have been working with several federal agencies that include the Department of Human Health Services, the, the Department of Defense, the Department of Homeland Security, Labor, and others. And I will be pleased to share some of those use cases with you today. Scott, over to you. I'm Scott Bellavo from the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Our mission as part of the USPTO is to timely issue high-quality patents and trademarks for all the cool stuff that you see around you. Like, there's probably about 300 patents on this phone. What that ends up kind of translating to is we receive about a million trademark applications, about half a million um, patent applications for everything under the sun. And within those patent applications, and this kind of ties back to some of the importance of AI, all of those applications describe something, blah, 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 lot of, lots of legal, and then it comes down to a sentence, one sentence, and that is, I claim, and you describe what your invention is. That claim or that sentence could be worth a billion dollars. I mean, there are examples of claims worth that much money. So within the USPTO, and you know, particularly language models, which I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on at some point, we're very interested in how we can make our mission or accomplish that mission of highly high-quality patents and trademarks more quickly in the context of a billion-dollar sentence. And how do we get those billion-dollar sentences out to the marketplace to be commercialized as quickly as possible so we can have all the great things around you? So in that end, my job is, you know, often wear a lot of different hats. So usually it's, I'm the data guy, I do a lot of stuff, public data dissemination, our AI programs, as well as our um, internal data analytics efforts, and all kind of cool things. All right, Suman, over to you. Hi, good afternoon. My name is Suman Shukla, and I'm the section head for the data management team at Copyright Office. We are the biggest repository of copyright data in the world, so... We have a lot of things to do here. My job includes everything from data management plan, implementing data strategy, implementing data governance at Copyright Office, developing memos why copyright data is special, since we have a special requirement of retaining the data for a specific amount of time, life of the author plus 70 more years. So we have a huge data retention policy. We definitely need to be ahead in the game of AI, since lots of work that is being registered do include some of the work that is done by AI. And main, the basic principle of copyright is anything that is worked, that is copyrighted, has to be a work done by a human authorship, has to be creative and fixed in a specific medium. So anything that is 
part of AI is not copyrightable. So we have to be ahead of game in that sort. So we have recently published some guidelines and uh, policies and our take on how the AI work will be registered, which is on copyright landing page on the AI module. So if anybody wish to look at it, that, that's a page to go. So we definitely need to be there. When I'm not trying my brain with copyright data, I am actually creating things that I, I can copyright. So that's where my take is. Okay, great. Well, thanks everyone for uh, telling us a little bit about yourselves. And when we're talking about AI ethics, I know earlier today, you know, there were some references to chat GPT. What we're really looking at in this day and age is, you know, AI being something that the, there is a lower barrier to entry for folks to experiment with it, to toy around with it. And uh, Suman, I think you said something really interesting a moment ago about the U.S. Copyright Office having to make clear that you know a, a copyright is something that is uh, unique to humans, that you know, AI-generated material is not something that you can copyright. So just, yeah. you know, let's, let's maybe dive into that a little bit more, like in terms of the considerations of what the future holds here, how is that an emerging concern for your, your agency? Sure. So the basic rule of copyright is you can only copyright something that has been have a human author. It's not generated by machine or an animal or you know non-human entity. So it has to be a human entity. It has to, some creativity to it. You cannot just you know a copyright a, a number or an alphabet or a shape or a, a something that's predefined. It has some creativity to it, and it's fixed in a medium. Copyright does not uh, register anything that is an idea concept or a methodology. It's, it's more like if you have an idea, if you write a poem or if you think about something, you write it down and, and register that. It has to be a medium of expression, whether it's a painting, it's a poetry, it's some kind of uh, a medium that you express. It's fixed in that format and that's copyrighted. And nowadays we are seeing lots of registration that comes with part of human creations that includes AI-generated, maybe something like AI-generated paints or art or you know some kind of algorithm behind the scene, which is being registered at Copyright Office. We saw some things like, for example, I'll give you an example of the monkey taking a picture in woods, and that came for registration. And through the examination process, that was not actually a work of art done by a human being. It was done, somebody accidentally left their camera in the jungle, the monkey took it and took a picture and he brought it for copywriting. That's not copyrightable. That's not a human work of art. So uh, similarly, there was recently in news, you, you guys might have read that, that somebody registered a picture, AI generated, that was you know a huge controversy. But things like that, people register, but you know they do not publish this information up front. They fill the application and they will say, oh, this is my work of art. Sometimes it's hard to catch whether the work was done solely by the human being or there was some AI uh, included in that. If we do not proactively know about that, or if we do not know what things could be used to generate certain specific things using AI, the work might be registered and there might be a litigation following that. So it's important for us to know how AI can be used in creative works to make sure it does not follow the litigation or unjustified registration of certain things people can take advantage of, or it could impact the fair use of copyright materials. So we are exploring that area. It's unknown, unknown for us too, and a lot of things we are soliciting uh, information from the users to make sure that we are in that game and, and doing right things there. 
Okay, and Scott, you know, I, I realize that with this wild west of generative AI that we're now living in, that this also has pretty big implications for USPTO as well. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what's front of mind for you? Building upon our, our friends also in the intellectual property space, um, because both patents, trademarks, and copyrights are all part of yes. intellectual property, we're kind of, I think we're struggling or we're working on sort of very similar things where an inventor is defined, you know, I think there's some court cases surrounding it as a person. So a question, you know, that we're also sort of working with and, and discussing, you know, but we're also the innovation office, so we want to promote innovation and new things and not necessarily say you can't use tools XYZ. So how a question we're sort of working on and there's a, a number of sort of out there for requests for comments on some discussion points is how much can a machine be involved in the process without necessarily saying that the machine is a quote-unquote co-inventor because you can't have a machine as a co-inventor. So, you know, a lot of times an inventor will give the idea to an attorney, the attorney will take that, you know, idea invention disclosure statement and craft it within, you know, kind of the meets and bounds or the language of patent language, which if anyone's ever read is quite fun to read <laughs> sometimes. And so if that's okay, well, where if I use a person with a generative AI model, to what extent do I have to disclose that? Or if I don't disclose it, am I in trouble? Because then I didn't disclose the full inventor, true inventorship. So it is certainly, um, it is something that I think there's a lot of good policy discussion surrounding, which kind of goes to the larger maybe AI and society question. It was sort of, it was actually, um, I don't know if anyone's familiar with Professor Crouch, Dennis Crouch from Patently O, um, had a great comment of like, so if we take away the idea that the inventor is this person toiling away in their garage and working hard all day long, and we kind of say, well, we'll let the machine do it, what as a society are we going to lose? Well, so that's another kind of question where we're certainly discussing or, or looking at balance. That was Scott Bellavo, the Chief of Enterprise Advanced Analytics at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. We're going to take a short break, but we'll continue our conversation when we return. I'm Jory Heckman, and you're listening to All About Data on Federal News Network. Welcome back to All About Data. We're going to return to our ATAR panel and once again hear from Shakib Shrebi, the Chief Data Scientist for the National Technical Information Service. Shakib, this is obviously an area where there is a lot of exciting potential, but it is the kind of thing where agencies really want to make sure they have good guardrails in place before a promising use case goes awry, goes off the rails, things of that nature. What are some of the top concerns in your mind and what is NTIS doing to uh, you know, kind of provide that sense that this technology is something that is important for agencies to use and something that is safe for them to use? Yeah, I think it's, it's very important to put this discussion in a, in a larger perspective and the, pro, uh, the proper context. Context is extremely important in artificial intelligence. And um, the way to look at it is exactly what has um, been said by all panelists here. AI has, uh, is really transformative, awesome technology. It has a lot of potential benefit for us. But at the same time, of course, it presents a lot of risks. So, and and the, uh, those benefits and the risks are really like very contextual based on the, uh, on the task that you, you're trying to perform. There is a lot of potential benefit in, uh, in healthcare, 
in uh, manufacturing, in transportation, in manufacturing. So, and uh, we talked about generative AI models. So they have the potential of uh, harvesting a lot of data and coming up with, uh, in, with speed and accuracy that uh, has never been seen. So, and coming up with uh, a lot of help for us to do the, the proper uh, decision that we need to, to address, including uh, in, in fraud analytics that, we, uh, that HHS is trying to handle, and it's, it's, it's huge, it's humongous. I mean, the Department of Mental Health Services are actually supervising a, a budget, it's the largest civilian sector, right? It's, it's a budget about $1.5 trillion, so they have a lot on, on their plate. So by, uh, by harvesting that, the, the technology that's out there from AI, uh, will help them a lot, their mission, support their task, to support their stakeholders, uh, auditors, investigators, uh, lawyers, etc., that, uh, that try to focus on, on the areas where they can recoup some of the money and make sure that any dollar spent is properly spent. What I see here is that uh, with the development of a generative AI model, interesting life, I see it as an AI accelerator. It's an accelerator that helps us achieve tasks, but at the same time, and thankfully, it has actually accelerated the debate that we have been for years. It's not new, the discussion about risks. And I would like to underline some of the efforts that are out there in the, in the government. I mean, the, the federal data strategy has been acted about two years ago. Uh, we already implemented uh, two action plans in there. There is, of course, the executive order, 13960, on, on promoting trustworthy AI. There is the, uh, the blueprint for the AI Bill of Rights, another executive order on racial equity and making sure that the AI help underserved community as well. So there is a lot of uh, initiatives and efforts and we all agree on, on the ba in major principles. We want AI application to be aligned with our values. We want AI to be transparent, to be explainable, to be fair, to be accountable. The problem is that we don't have a universal approach. So we have those principles in place and we are looking for best practices. NIST has uh, released uh, a website, where a portal, where actually has put all the information that they've been working on for two years on the AI uh, risk management framework that provide um, a playbook and guidelines uh, for all agencies and any organization to follow uh, to try to make sure that to put those guardrails and it's a risk-based approach. So, so basically what they recommend is, is to have governance of all the AI application in place. So you have to have a governance structure. And, and then from there, you, 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 you can uh, analyze the risk and try to mitigate the risk and monitor that risk. It's, it's an ongoing process and it's a continuous process that the agency have to do and complete to make sure that the AI applications that are powerful are actually implemented as they are intended without breaching any privacy issues or, or being biased or have a discriminatory effect. Okay, great. Well, I'm going to circle back to a point made about bias in the AI. I think that is something that is front of mind for a lot of folks when we talk about AI ethics. I'll let anyone take a first crack at that. What are the, your agency's chief considerations when it comes to making sure that the AI algorithms that are fielded are free of bias? I'll take on that. So definitely AI bias is a major thing that we must consider. We don't even know. Unknowingly, we, ha we just experiment on a specific set of data sets or a specific group of information that we do algorithms. We unknowingly create something that focuses to just that data set. 
which excludes the rest of the population. And so whatever outcome we bring or implement it to any environment doesn't give you the right answer because it's looking for only those data sets or those informations or algorithms pertaining to those information. So we are not being fair to the rest of the population. This could lead to a right decision or a wrong decision based on which environment it's being put to. So AI biased is a very important thing that we must consider as, as per the policy. We don't even know. There's simple things like, you know, the simple things to consider. We, what data we have, what data sets we need to include, what answer we are going to answer, what questions we are answering, and which information we are looking for. We focus on people, process, and technology. I believe in people, process, and training. If I don't know my mission, I, if I don't know my agency goals, if I don't know my process, if I don't understand how the tool will be applied to my problems and what problems it will be solving, what are the underlying criteria behind it, I am biased. That's also a bias towards everything. So when we are developing any AI algorithms or working with the data sets, we need to have a generic or, or you know, include as much information as possible to eliminate the bias. Okay. Anyone else on the uh, the bias question? It's very important to represent uh, a, a, a good representation of the um, uh, uh, has to be in place. Like um, we always recommend a multidisciplinary approach. So very important to do that throughout the life cycle of an AI application, from from the collection of the data to the cleaning of the data, the, the validation of the data, all the way on when you develop the AI model, and then the. Um, uh, you can look at the output and the, and the outcomes of that AI model. Uh, we need to keep monitoring based on those criteria that we have defined, which, which is the, the fairness issue, the transparency issue, the accountability issues, etc. So it's very important also that to include not only when you design a process, when you, you have to include a diverse, uh, a very diversified uh, uh, group of people that will, that will work on that, but you have to look also from the other side where what that application is, who is it impacting? So th those stakeholders also have to be, be also involved in the process because that's how you monitor the effect because sometimes uh, you know, an application can have negative uh, impact, uh, impact that you haven't conceived or planned for, etc. So it has to be also like expanded uh, beyond the, just the development and the deployment of, a, of an AI application but on the impact of that AI application along the years. But another point that I want to make sure about this bias, because there is a lot of talk about managing the risk of AI applications and, and kind of because of the hype, there is kind of like pushback against AI. But we have to, what I always emphasize is that bias is existing now. AI is just may amplify it, but it's there. And I see it also, I always see AI as a way to do new things, but also try to fix all things. It's an opportunity for us to look at, the, uh, at, the, at, the, at, the, at what the effect of, of, of bias has been around, structural bias here, and how we can actually use AI to, to tackle those issues that we have been trying to tackle beyond that complex. And AI is helpful tackling complex issues. So we can see it also as a way to actually tackle what we have and make sure that we don't amplify those uh, biased outcomes that uh, we've been living with. Okay, Scott? You know, I think everyone, what everyone's really getting at in terms of data, monitoring, all, you know, looking at the, you know, the particular data set for, for its particular use and purpose. I mean, I think, you know, fundamentally all data is going to have bias. 
no matter how good you, you try and, and things like that. So a lot of the times it's a question of, and I think you're touching on it, the risk management framework of managing that bias um, such that, you know, depending upon the use case, it's a question of balancing that with the potential benefit that's being received from, from that particular um, situation. That said, you know, I think hand in hand, when I think of bias, I think bias a lot of times comes back to that fundamental question of trust. Mm -hmm. Can I trust this? And kind of give a scenario, did, did anybody get here using a, a map app of some sort? Did, did anyone like actively think about, like actively think about when it said to go left, maybe I shouldn't go left? Yeah, so one, one yeah. two people. So, okay, so I, I'm, I, I'm like looking at traffic. I'm not paying as much attention because I'm easily distracted. If I think back to, you know, going back to years and years and years, trip, uh, AAA, the triptych, anybody remember the triptychs? <laughs> with, with like the orange highlighter and the person highlighted it and they just flipped it over. Mm -hmm. You just kind of did the driving and, you know, you were excited when you got to the next page. You didn't ask the question, probably didn't ask the question, why is it sending me this way on this yellow highlighter? Or you asked the person when they made it, um, why it was like that. So at what point can you think about, when did you stop asking that question of, do I trust this, that it's telling me the right? I mean, maybe it was telling you to go left because it didn't have any traffic data uh, going left and it needed to figure out if there was a block, you know, to monitor everything. So, you know, a lot of times in this AI, when we get to bias and questions like that, you know, there's always the question of, you know, and I think it was Hemingway who said, you have to trust something first until, you know, to learn if you can trust it. And I think that's where, you know, in a lot of our bias and other journeys that we've been kind of, kind of touching at with a lot of this emerging technology of, can we, knowing that there will be bias, knowing that it may not give us, um, let's say, accurate advice per se, is it at a point where we should start to trust it such that the value add of the automation, the benefits and things like that kind of outweigh of, well, let's give it a chance. Now in our agency, we are kind of giving it a chance in the way we're doing it in analogously to driving, we're keeping the person in the loop. The fundamental decision as to whether to go left or right is absolutely in the driver's seat of the examiner. And that's how we're trying to mitigate that bias as well as build that trust to sort of train, you know, we're also learning lots of data from our employees and things like that to make it a better product experience to help be an assistive technology, getting them to, to sort through lots of data. That was Scott Beliveau, the Chief of Enterprise Advanced Analytics at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. Special thanks to ATARC for letting me moderate this panel. You can find more coverage of all things data, as well as more episodes of All About Data on federalnewsnetwork.com. I'm Jory Heckman, and thanks for listening to this episode of All About Data. Thanks for listening to All About Data on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. You can listen to this episode and past episodes anytime in your favorite podcast app. Search for All About Data on Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows.